Philippians chapter 3. One of the things important to know in your Christian walk is to know exactly that what you're equipped with. To know what you have in Christ. Until we know what we have in Christ, we're constantly being defeated. We'll be full of negative and fear and anxiety. It is wonderful to get into any situation and to know that you are the master of that situation. Now, I think we all know that the word of God says that in Christ Jesus, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors. I think most people would be thankful if they were simply conquerors, wouldn't they? I think many Christians would be thankful if they just knew even that they were conquerors in every situation. But the scripture says that in Christ Jesus, when we have Christ in us, we are more than conquerors, which is conquering plus. If this is true, then you and I should never be defeated in any situation. For then we already have the victory even before the battle starts. We are already the conquerors before the battle ensues. We are already having our foot on Satan's neck before he starts to fight. No matter then what the situation may be, no matter with what we may be confronted, in God's sight, and remember, God is in Christ, and Christ is in you, and he is our hope of glory. And therefore, with this ability, we are more than conquerors in every situation through him who loved us and who gave himself for us. Now, the book of Philippians was written to the church to correct the practical error which God knew would creep into the church because of the failure of adhering to the revelation given in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is the greatest supernatural revelation of God to the church that the world has ever seen or ever been given. The book of Ephesians. Nothing equal. Whenever you read the book of Ephesians, your old body just thrills. It just tingles with the exuberance of the greatness of the love of God and the power that's in the believer. But God knew that the church would not rise up to the greatness of that believing. That there would be people coming along who would chop down the Christians so that they would no longer be more than conquerors. But then he showed them in the book of Philippians how to correct this practical error. How to correct the practical error that would creep into the body of believers because of the failure of adherence to the greatness of the revelation given in the book of Ephesians. Now this third chapter. And here in Philippians, verse chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul, by revelation, writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in who? The Lord. Rejoice in what you have in Christ. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in it. Have a good time. Know that you're heaven bound and that all hell can't stop you from going. You know, get a little enthused about your product. Get a little hepped on it. A little live, a little vital. Rejoice in it. Well, have a good time knowing that you're heaven bound. Now, he says in verse 2, Beware of dogs. That doesn't mean Basenjis or German short hairs. <laughs> he is referring here to the thing that occurred in the early church when they refused to believe the revelation of Ephesians. Then something happened which God had him to write about because these people were beware of dogs. Biters, evil workers, beware of the concision, the circumcision. Why? Because in the book of Ephesians, God had told them that they had all this abundance and that they'd been set free, that in Christ Jesus they had the love of God in them, that they had the peace of God, they had the comfort of God, they had the righteousness of God, they had the wisdom of God, they had already as far as God was concerned, been seated in the heavenly places. All the greatness of this revelation is recorded in Ephesians. And that once they had received this Christ in them, they were no longer under the law. They no longer had to, you know, go to breakfast at such and such a time, to dinner at such and such a time. They no longer had to observe the the, the all this stuff but what happened? There were a group of believers that it mentions in Acts 19. They were all born again of God's spirit. They were believers, but they were still zealous for what? The law. They were still zealous for the law. And that, that's the practical error that crept into the early church. And that's what defeated the early church from continuing to manifest the deliverance power that it had on the day of Pentecost and for some 25 to 30 years after that. It's when these people who were sincere enough, sincere enough, they were born again of God's spirit, but they came in with that old legalism, that old law business. And whenever Paul went to preach the word of God, they followed right along and said, yes, now it's wonderful what Paul taught, but they said you have to be circumcised and get in under the law business. And Paul, by revelation to correct this practical error that had crept into the church, said, Beware of these dogs. Beware of these evil workers, the circumcision. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians. Keep your finger in Philippians. We'll be right back. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor what? Uncircumcision. But faith, which worketh by what? So if you're in Christ Jesus, the legalism of the law availeth what? Nothing. Circumcision availeth nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nor does it avail anything if you're uncircumcised. Because when you're in Christ Jesus, you're born again of God's Spirit. Now you have eternal life, the Spirit of God in you. 
you should walk in that abundance and in that freedom of that which Christ brought with him. You know, I have a translation written down of this Galatians 5, 6 that I'd just like to share with you tonight. And this is it. Galatians 5, 6, and this is a literal translation of that tremendous verse. For when Christ Jesus is born within, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision gives one spiritual strength. Isn't that wonderful? When Christ Jesus is born within, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision gives one spiritual strength. But spiritual faith is energized effectively in manifestation by the love of God in the renewed mind. Parentheses. And this is what makes one powerful. End of parentheses. Isn't that something? I'll read it to those of you again who are taking it down. I know it's blessing your heart. Can't help but bless your heart. Look at it. For when Christ Jesus is born within, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision gives one spiritual strength. But spiritual faith is energized effectively in manifestation by the love of God in the renewed mind. And this is what makes one powerful. Isn't that wonderful? Well, back to, Gal uh, back to Philippians. Verse 3. For we, those of us who are born again of God's Spirit, are the what? Circumcision. Which worship God. Which worship God in the what? Right. Worship God in the Spirit. The word in is the word by in the text. Who worship God by know the spirit who worship God by spirit. How can we worship God? Can you worship God by bringing an offering? No. God has no needs. Nothing of man's hand can increase God. You can't worship God. I can't worship God by the things of my hand. God is not worshipped with temples built by men's hands, right? God is spirit, John says. And they that worship him must worship him in or by what? Spirit, which is truth. By spiritual truth. Spirit and truth. The only way you can worship God, if the Bible's right, and if it isn't, people, we have no hope is to worship him by the Spirit. And to worship him by the Spirit is to speak in tongues, Corinthians says. Therefore, when I want to worship God, I speak in tongues. That's how I worship him. That's exactly what this says. It says that we are the circumcision. Because the circumcision represents believers. We, the circumcision, the believers who worship God by the Spirit. And unless we walk in this life, we'll be just like the old covenant boys were, legalistic. And we'll always be evil workers, the Scripture says, 
For we're trying to bring people under less than what God has really made them to be. And we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in what? You see, you cannot have any confidence in the legalism of the flesh. Once you have seen the greatness of the revelation of God in Christ Jesus in the believer. Now, he says, if there was, this was a matter of understanding and having the power of God because of the flesh, Paul said, I'd have had more than any of you of the circumcision to whom I'm writing. And then he gives his pedigree <laughs> or something. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrews of the Hebrews, as touching the law, he lived in the top echelon of it. He was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, zeal, you know, I frequently think of this when I say that sincerity is no guarantee for truth. Paul was he zealous? Boy, he was sincere. He brought the Christians in chains. He had them sent in for persecution. Even destruction physically concerning seal. He was sincere enough, but was he right? No, he was dead wrong. That's why sincerity is no guarantee for truth. Concerning seal, he persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness, which is of the law, the righteousness, which is of the law. He was what? Did he live it? Boy, he lived that old law. He worked on himself. He disciplined himself. He brought himself in alignment and harmony with that law. And the harder he worked that law, the further he missed the mark. The harder he worked to be good, the more he realized that he was not. The harder he worked at himself to get saved, the further he got unsaved. <laughs> You've seen this. The harder people sometimes have worked to be healed, the further they've moved away. Because it's psychologically, it's a law that they're straining at that thing and they can't get to it. Now, by the legalism of the law, you cannot get to the greatness of the power of God. Because all that God made available through Christ Jesus, he made available by grace. And the legalism of the law is works. And we're not saved by works. We are saved by grace. Not of works, lest any man should what? Amen. That's why, people, the tremendousness of this chapter or these chapters in Philippians are almost unbelievable for they speak to the heart of the Christian today like as if they were written this afternoon at 4.30. They're alive and vital, these words, for those who have ears to hear. Because it's just like God writing it this afternoon. Just making it as real today as it was almost 1900 and some years ago. Now he says in verse 9. That I may be found in him not having mine own what? Righteousness. If he had acquired it by the zealousness of the law. Then he would have gotten it by the works and of his own. And he would have created his or manifested his own what? Righteousness. But he said no. That I may be found in him not having mine own righteousness. Which is of the law. But that righteousness which is through the faith of whom? 
the righteousness which is of God, which is from God. And he said in verse 10, that I may know him. Isn't that wonderful? That I may know him. That I may know him. Not necessarily know what readers digest life, look or time or doctor so and so or <coughs> professor so and so or right reverend so and so. No matter how wonderful and good it may be. But to get to the place that I may know him. Know him. To know him. Not to doubt, not to question, but arrive at the place that I may know, capital K, capital M, capital O, capital W, that I may know him. And not only know him, know the power, the dynamis that is in his resurrection. Boy, isn't that something. Man, how this has changed many of our lives. When we got to the place that we really knew him, and we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew him. How it changed our outlook on life. How it made our life effervesce and glow. Where before it was drab, skinny, down, full of fear, worry, anxiety, and frustration. How it has changed our lives when we got to the place that we really knew that we knew that we knew him. That I may know him, yes, but that was not all that has thrilled our souls. It has been that we have known the power of his, what? Resurrection. That we have not only had this on the inside spiritually, but that we've tried it out in the sense knowledge world in which we live, and it works with a mathematical exactness and with a scientific precision. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. People, he's got power. He's got power that we can know this power in manifestation. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Now, he says in verse 14, because of all of this, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. The word high is the word upward. I press toward the mark of the prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And someplace in here, in verse 13, the latter end of that verse, he says, forgetting those things which are what? And reaching forth unto those things which are before. Isn't that wonderful? Once you get to know him and the power of his resurrection, you forget about the things of the past. The old legalism, the old enslavements, the old negatives, the old worries, the fears, the anxieties, the frustrations, the old headaches. You forget about because now you're pressing on toward the mark of the high calling in Christ, forgetting about those things that are past. Why? Because in the category of the renewed mind. When we're born again of God's spirit, we put on the mind of what? Christ. And when we put on the mind of Christ, we put light here. What happens to the darkness? It is dispelled. You introduce light and darkness disappears. You can't get rid of darkness by adding more darkness. You can't be full of fear and worry and anxiety and worry more and fear more and have more anxiety and get rid of it. Right? It's only one way to get rid of it. And that is by introducing light. And when we introduce light into the renewed mind, then the negatives disappear. Therefore, I forget those things which are in the past. Because I am now, since I'm born again of God's Spirit, pressing toward the mark of the high calling, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
Boy, what a lesson. How what a tremendous thing to the heart of the Christian to see this. What difference does it make what you were before you got saved, right? Now, since you're saved, whose are you? Christ. Did you get saved because you were so good? No, we got saved because we were so miserable and we needed a Savior. And he was so good that I got saved because of his goodness, of his faith, and of his righteousness, and not of my own. But now, since I'm saved, I've got it. <laughs> I've got it. By his grace and by his mercy. Now, therefore, I forget the things which are where. It doesn't make any difference then what I've done. It doesn't make any difference how far down the ladder of society I may have slipped. Once he saved me, he started me up on the road, and he forgave me. He clothed me. He finished me with the greatness of his power, of his resurrection. And so I forget about what? The past. And yet tonight, millions of Christians across the world are going to bed miserable because they do not know this wonderful word of God. They're bringing back up things that happened five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago or thirty years ago. I think it was last Sunday night in the meeting that I told you the whole summer school was worth what it did for one person who committed a sin thirty years ago. Saved, and still that thing had gnawed at her for 30 years until she came into the camp here in our summer school and was totally set free because she sat under the teaching of some of our leaders here who taught her that when Christ saved her, he gave her remission of sins. And when she saw that, she went home a new person. 30 years she allowed this to gnaw at her. Isn't it devilish? How can you manifest the more abundant life if week after week we are gnawed at with fear and worry and anxiety and sin? Our Savior is a Savior from sin. You bet your life. He's wonderful. And he has given us something that will just enable us to walk with an effervescence and with a glow. Therefore, he says, I forget those things which are past. Boy, isn't it wonderful? If people would just forget what so-and-so did to them last week. <laughs> sure. Sometimes people wait for 10 years to get back to somebody. And they say, boy, whenever I get the chance, I'll get him because he did so-and-so to me. Oh, what kind of a life is that? Forgetting the things that are past. A man came to me a while back and said, well, he could never forgive his wife for what she'd done to him. I said, well, that's wonderful. Just stay miserable. <laughs> that's what I told him. I told him, just stay miserable, and he got half mad at me. Oh, bless God, why should I pat him on the shoulder? He was all wrong to begin with. He said he was a Christian, and then he said he couldn't forgive his wife. The scripture says God forgave him, right? And if God forgave you, you can certainly forgive someone else, right? All I have to do is to look at the greatness of God in his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy, and I have no difficulty loving any of you. Nor do you have any difficulty loving me. But when we get to the place that we think it's of our righteousness, you know, then you've got these grades where you'll fight against one another because you think you're a better person than so-and-so, understand? 
forgetting those things which are in the past. I press on. And boy, that's like getting a fresh drink of water on a hot day in August at 110 or something. Boy, it's, it gives you an inner bath spiritually where you, when you learn to forget about the things of the past. You carry no more animosity, no more bitterness, no more grudges at all. You haven't got any corns spiritually or physically. Nobody steps on your feet and hurts you. Because you have no, no, no injury. You have nothing you want to battle. You have nothing you want to fight with. That's why you forget about the things of the past. Because he has made you that you're now pressing on toward the mark of the high calling. And ladies and gentlemen, we haven't got any time to mess around with things in the past. Because when we start stewing about what happened yesterday, we just can't move fast enough. Remember, the athlete who's gone and traveled fast has to travel light. If you're going to run the 100-yard dash with 15-pound shoes on, you'll never make it. If you're going to run the 100-yard dash, you take off most of the clothes you got on and put on the lightest pair of track shoes you can get a hold of, and boy, you run. And that's a remarkable thing. Before you run in that track, I've run some of these, so I know a little about it. You know what we do? We used to put on real heavy shoes and run the 100 yard on heavy shoes when we weren't in competition. Because then when we got in a competition, we'd put on our real light track shoe and our light trunks, and we'd run like a house of fire. Because we could run this much faster because we got rid of the weight. Boy, I think of that spiritually sometimes. Before you got saved and you knew what you had with Jesus, you were just loaded down with heavy shoes. Now, since you got rid of it all, your lighted heart, Light in spirit, your light in body. Now you can run like a great spiritual athlete, pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Sure, bless your heart. You know why? Well, he says in chapter 4, verse 1, watch this thing develop. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and my what? So stand fast in the Lord. Don't stand fast in what people say, the legalists say, or those who want to put you under this or put you under that. Stand fast in who? The Lord. And as you stand fast, you are the joy and rejoicing of my heart and those of us who have taught you the word of God. Now, I entreat thee, verse 3, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with other of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. I just wanted to call together this call to your attention, Yoke Fellow. We have a Yoke Fellow Fellowship up there at Defiance, that building, you know, that they built. A uh, uh, professor from, where in Indiana? Who, who, who runs the Yoke Fellow? What? Dr. Elton Trueblood from uh, Richmond. What, what's that school up there? Earlham College, right. He, he founded a group called Yoke Fellows. The true Yoke Fellow Fellowship was founded long before this because it was founded with the coming of the new birth when you and I are yoked together in Christ Jesus. 
We are yoke fellows. We're bound together. And you know what a yoke is. Well, some of you kids just got to go to the fairs or some place where they still have some of these things that they put around cows' necks or something. It's a yoke. Put it around their necks and get both cows staying close together, going the same direction. Did you ever put these on horses? I don't think they ever put yokes on horses, did they? No. Only on oxen, huh? Yoke the oxen. Well, somebody said the yoke's on you. It isn't either. But, uh, you know, when they put the yoke on these oxen, they were tied together. Well, people, you and I are tied together. We've got a job to do. We've got a job to carry out. And we are yoke fellows. We're bound together. And as we are of the same mind and of the same spirit, you see, this is that yoke fellow. And we move forth, pressing toward that mark with the greatness of the God's wonderful power. Look at this. Let your moderation, verse 5, your moderation, moderation is forbearance, be, no, be made known unto all man, men, for the Lord is at hand. Be careful. The word careful is the word anxious. Verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Don't... Be filled with anxiety. Why don't you have to be filled with anxiety? Because God is in you, in Christ, in you. And people, could you get any more than that? If God is in you, then why be anxious about tomorrow? Because the moment you're anxious about tomorrow, you're defeating yourself. You're, you're making yourself less Suppose you've got a $10,000 bill coming due tomorrow and you're all nervous about it tonight. What good will it do you? It'll get you all nervous up and do you much more harm if you got 10000 due tomorrow. It'll come tomorrow. Quit stewing about it. And if you're going to be anxious about it, you're not going to get the money to meet the need anyways because we're breaking the principle. Therefore, we're to be anxious about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Not something. Just be thankful. Be thankful. You know why? Because you are more than conquerors. Therefore, no matter what the situation is, don't get overly distraught about it. Don't get filled with anxiety. Just with prayer and Supplication, thank God. Just thank Him. You don't have to ask Him to meet your need. Because He's already promised He's going to do that. Therefore, all we do is what? Thank Him. Thank Him. That's right. Sometimes, people, I wish I could let you be in my shoes for a little while. Because sometimes the weeks roll by We've got two or three thousand dollars worth of bills, no money to pay for them. And if you know the Werewill bloodline, that's not easy on us Werewills. That's right. But this ministry is far bigger than the Werewills or anyone else. And when these tremendous needs come up, you know what I've done through the years? The only thing I know how to do, and that is just try to get my spiritual automobile in neutral. 
And finally, just say, Lord, I thank you for supplying the need because you promised it. And Lord, I don't know where it's coming from. And I don't care, Lord, but I know you'll do it. And I just thank him for doing it. And class, I have learned that when I can get myself to believing God's word, it always works. But when little old VP sits around and he stews and he frets and he wonders how he can work this so he can get this, how he can do this and get this thing all to fit together. Man, I get tired. All worn out. And then lo and behold, I get anxious, you know, all shook on the inside. And then the bills still come and still don't meet them. Isn't that wonderful? Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Just get our spiritual automobile, so to speak, in neutral, and just thank God that he's going to take care of it, for he said we were more than what? And how in the world can I be more than a conqueror and be completely in debt all the time and always under the board, so to speak? It's impossible. Therefore, I just have to learn this. That's why this is addressed to the church to correct the practical error that had crept in among the people because of the failure of the adherence to the revelation given in the book of Ephesians. That's why he said, the peace of God, not the anxiety of VP Werewell, but the peace of God will pass all understanding. And boy, it sure does. Somebody once says it also passes all misunderstanding. The peace of God passes all misunderstanding. And this peace of God's going to keep your hearts. No maybe about it, right? He shall keep your hearts and he's going to keep your mind that your mind can't get off. You can't go insane. It's impossible. As long as we recognize what we have in Christ Jesus and walk on it. He's going to keep your heart and he's going to keep your mind. Through whom? Well, how big is Christ Jesus? He's big enough to do it, isn't he? Why, sure. Therefore, he says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, here's the key, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think, think on these what things. Because people, we never rise beyond what we're able to think, right? And if I think negative, if I think legalism, if I think defeat, what am I going to be? Defeated. I'm going to be legalistic. I'm going to be under all those negatives under all that law again, because that's what I'm what? Thinking. And he says, think on something else. Think on that which is good. Don't be anxious. But think on that which is true, that which is just, that which is lovely. Have you ever thought this about people, someone that you didn't like, start thinking about them as to what are their lovely points? What's the good in them? And before you'll know it, the very things you, you you sort of didn't like about them have sort of taken second place and you think, well, by golly, they're not so bad after all. Right? Think. We control where we're going by our thinking. 
We control what we are and what we do because of our thinking. No person ever rises beyond what he's able to believe. But no person believes any bigger than what he thinks. If you think small, you'll act small. Therefore, if you think the bigness of God's word, it's finally got to get to you. Suppose it only gets to you one-tenth. Well, bless God, that's one-tenth more than it gotten to you if you hadn't started thinking that way, right? That's why we have to think on these things. Now, <laughs> we get to the greatness of this message tonight, which I reserve for the tail end. So the best comes at the end, I hope. I know. Because all of this is tremendously wrapped up in some of these wonderful verses of Scripture, starting with verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be what? Content. Now that's impossible. Because if you're down and out, if you're defeated, if you're full of worry, fear, and anxiety, you certainly wouldn't want to be content in that situation, would you? Because he's just told us in the word of God that we're not to be anxious. Therefore, there's something wrong here. And you know what it is? The translation. The word content. The word content is self-adequate. That's something. I have learned in whatsoever state I am, I am self-adequate. I have learned to know that no matter what my state may be, I have been equipped that I am self-adequate with the equipment I have to be more than a conqueror, to overcome this thing, to no longer be full of fear, worry, anxiety, and frustration. I can overcome this thing because I have learned that in whatever situation I am, I am self-adequate. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through whom? Christ, which what? Strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am self what? Adequate. Through whom? Through Christ who does what? Strengthens me. It is he who is in here. It is he who lives within. And therefore, because he is in, I am self-adequate. I have the God-given ability to carry it out. There are two translations of this verse I'd like to share with you, which I think are also tremendous. One of the translations reads, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. Isn't that wonderful? And another translation of this verse reads, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. Now, isn't that wonderful? I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. Now this word infuses 
is a real remarkable word. When you weld, what do you do with these pieces that you are broken? You infuse them, right? And at a good weld, let me ask you this, at a good weld, that's it. He already said it. It will never what? It will not break at the weld. It may break some other place, but where this has been infused, it will never what? Look at that translation. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who has infused. He has infused himself in us. Isn't that wonderful? He has infused inner strength into me. Therefore, I am always self-adequate in every situation because he is my sufficiency. Isn't that wonderful? Boy, you see why you can go out in this whole world this week with an effervescence and with a glow? Why we can go forth under the anointing of the Holy Spirit knowing what we have in Christ Jesus? For I can do all things through Christ who what? For we are more than conquerors. He has made me able. And when he made me able, he gave me enablements. For no person can be able without enablements. Enablements make us able men. This is why I think it was Paul, if I remember correctly, wasn't it, who told Timothy to teach the word to men who are able men, who could teach others also. Well, what makes an able man? Enablements. I have to be enabled to be an able man. This is why he has infused us with that which cannot be broken. For it is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is the power of God in us. See that? That's why he has made us more than conquerors. This is why he said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, I am what? Self-adequate. He is self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who has infused me. who Through Christ who has given me his sufficiency. Therefore, I am self-sufficient. What a revelation to the heart and to the soul of the man or the woman who really wants to tap the resources. This tremendous truth from God's word is. It puts a lightness in your soul. It puts a freshness within yourself. It puts a depth of spiritual breathing within you that sets you totally free. Because this takes you out of the enslavement of legalism. Takes you out of the the covering and the cloak of man's own righteousness and puts you entirely upon the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It puts you at the place where you know that you got saved because you were unworthy, but he he was worthy. And he saved us Because God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. You know, there is a scripture that I think we ought to put in line with this. 
Tremendous truth tonight in Colossians chapter 1. In verse 10, that ye walk worthy of the Lord unto all what? Pleasing. Being fruitful. I mean, Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, you were only down a few verses. Maybe a page you had to turn, some of you. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto what? All pleasing. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of what? Isn't that wonderful? Just like tonight again. We can increase in the knowledge of God. And when you can increase in the knowledge of God, you can walk with a greater effervescence and with a greater glow. You can walk with a greater freedom, a greater deliverance, a greater love. You can walk with a greater manifestation of being more than conquerors because you increase with the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to His glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks, watch it, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father who hath made us, past tense, who hath made us. The word meet is the word adequate. The word meet is the word adequate. Who hath made us adequate? He has made us. Class who made us. He did, right? God in Christ Jesus made us. Well, if he made us, then am I made? If he has equipped me, am I equipped? But could I go through life not knowing this? Definitely until somebody opened the word to me and showed me the word of God that I would increase in the knowledge of his word, which is increasing in the knowledge of God. And until somebody showed me this, I could go on in life being defeated, being negative, being anxious, being full of fear and everything else because I would not know God's word. I might be born again of God's spirit, saved, having eternal life, but still walking in great darkness because I had not yet been taught from the word that I was adequate, that I was sufficient. In his sufficiency, in his adequacy, giving thanks on the Father who hath made us, past tense, adequate to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in all the darkness. Nope. In what? Partakers of the saints, the inheritance of the saints in light, not in darkness. Verse 13, who hath, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his what? Then are we delivered? Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Why are we delivered? Because of what God wrought in Christ Jesus and Christ in turn wrought in every believer who is born again of God's Spirit. For every born again son of God has what the Word of God says he has, even though the born again son may not know what he's got. It's like an earthly father. He may have a million dollars, but the son does not know this. 
He doesn't know how much his dad is worth. Christians can be like this. You can be born again of God's spirit and not know what you have in Christ Jesus for nobody has ever read you the will. And this is the will. For this is the New Testament. And the word testament is will. This is the will of God. This is his last will and testament to us. And it said that he hath delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us. Well then, bless God, are we delivered? Sure. Are we adequate? Are we able? You bet your life. 